Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Wade Matthew continues our series of messages on the book of Acts. Today, looking at Acts chapter 12. And now, here's Wade. Okay, we talked about perspective. We talked about 18-wheelers. Where was I here? Now, let me see. Now, this message has to do with an evil king called Herod, an angel, and a follower of Christ. So once upon a time, here we are. So the word I wanted to use a little bit this morning is perspective. And we've talked about that a little bit already. But I want to talk about perspective with regards to you. How many of you are sitting here right now thinking that we're studying something that's ancient history. It happened 2,500 years ago. Things like that don't happen. Now, when was the last time you heard of a miracle with regards to Jesus, with regards to Peter, with regards to anyone in the Bible? And secondly, you feel insignificant because you feel that little old you can't do anything to participate to give anything useful back to the Lord. And I'm telling you that that is totally wrong. And this chapter is going to show that. Generally speaking, much of the Old Testament was focused on large groups, such as nations like Israel, which God had selected and decided that that was going to be his people, and other nations like Palestine and Egyptians, who were vehemently opposed to the Israelites in many, many ways for many, many reasons. It reflects a time when God had chosen a people to be his own and when the focus appeared to be on major issues that affected many people at one time, in particular God's people. And so we see, you know, traveling through the wilderness and we see God going before them as a cloud or as a fire, but he's going before them as a group of people. Whole cities and nations are obliterated as evil fought God on every front. You can reflect on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for an example. Uh, But the world as a whole was evil and was fighting God at every turn. Didn't the Lord even flood the land to rid the land of evil? He left a small remnant behind of his choosing. So now we come into the New Testament and the focus really turns to one individual at a time. The individual that we focus upon is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But it also focuses on how we, individually, I, can come to know the Lord, and how I am affected by the Lord, and how the Lord affects me in what I do. And you know something? That plan hasn't changed since the beginning of time. So it's worth noting as we start this little study in chapter 12, and actually through all of Acts, that most of what we've talked about reflects upon an individual or two. And we're going to do the same thing today. We're going to talk about Peter and Herod. And we'll mention the angel, by the way, but Peter and Herod, two people. Not the nation of Israel, not the Roman Empire, but two people. How they contrast each other and how each one of them has a part in growing God's church. 
You know, we've all seen repeatedly in the Old Testament and New Testament how God uses the smallest of vessels to achieve his purposes. He can mold the most unlikely, the most seemingly insignificant, the most vile and evil person into a positive step for the building of his church. That's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing when you think of that. Let me just give you a couple of examples that I know are familiar to you from the Old Testament. We have David, who was a seemingly insignificant boy, who would tame the giant Goliath and go on to be part of the foundation upon which God's plan would be built. It wasn't the rest of the people who stood before the Palestinians, before Goliath. It was David. Jesus says in Revelations 22.16, I am the root and the offspring of David. That is, he is both the creator of David and the descendant of David. Look at how many passages we have that are either by David or about David in the Old Testament. There's a lot of it. And this, about an insignificant boy. David was always meant to be part of the plan of God. And you are too. From the New Testament, we have Saul, who was among the top persecutors of God's people and certainly more than capable of breaking a few vessels of the Lord by himself. He would become Paul and be used by God to plant seeds too numerous to count. Evil or not, God had a use for him. Acts 8.3 says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Acts 9, 1 and 2 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As you reflected about David's presence in the Bible, do the same for Paul, who was previously Saul. See the changes that were made there by one person. And the efforts that Paul made later to add to the base, to that foundation. So let's move forward and just look at the two characters, the two main characters in chapter 12. We'll start with Peter. Here we have perhaps the most fragile and inconsistent vessel of that day. And that Peter was often hasty and irrational. He was quick to anger. He was quick to change his mind and slow to understand. Doesn't that sound a little bit like us? We stand up here and say we're for the Lord, but the first time we get challenged, we back away. We try and hide. We sit at the back of the church, hoping that nobody will see us. We go out. Not you personally, Lucy. We, we go out in a group, hoping that nobody will see us in that group. You know, Peter often boasted so highly of his faith in Jesus, and then he quickly denied him three times. Three times he denied knowing Christ and even attempted to blend in with the very ones that had arrested his master. And you'll find that in John 18:15 to 27, that passage. He also would slice off the ear of a soldier, not realizing the significance of the moment. He was hasty. In his decisions. You'll find that in Luke 22, 49 to 51. Matthew 16, 16 to 18 records the change in Peter this way. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. An insignificant, fragile person like Peter is used by God to do great and wonderful things. We see it in the New Testament. You know, when we look at him, we think that he wasn't wise enough. He wasn't controlled enough. He wasn't faithful enough to be of any help to the Lord. And yet, in spite of his inconsistencies, he becomes a major part in God's plan. So we've quickly looked at Peter. I want to look at Herod now. And this is going to take a little bit longer because I want to look at all the Herods. As you realize, there's not just one Herod in the Bible. There's five of them. And when I looked at the genealogy of Herod, it starts at Herod the Great, about 35, 37 B.C. And it goes on to Herod Agrippa II, about 99 A.D. That's this family that we're going to look at today. Now, this Herod is Herod Agrippa I, and I'll get into that a little bit in a moment. But first, I want to read a few verses from chapter 12, just to sort of give us a flavor for where we're at. This shouldn't be a surprise to you when you hear Herod. I think you probably think evil thoughts, and uh, you're right. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Sounds like a little bit of uh, over-preparation, isn't it? You know, 16 people to watch over one man who doesn't have a weapon, who's going to be chained, manacled. And yet this is what Herod was all about. At first glance, the King Herod that we're talking about here seemingly is a bloodthirsty antagonist of all things Christian. And why does it repeatedly fall upon a king named Herod to persecute the Christians? How about a little bit of background? This man who we speak of, as I said, is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the king who put all males to and under to death in an attempt to eliminate Jesus Christ at his birth. So it all starts there with his grandfather. He is front and center in Matthew chapter 2, as is his son Herod Archelaus, who continued his father's legacy by driving Mary and Jesus to go and reside in Nazarene, thereby fulfilling the prophecy that he should be called a Nazarene. It also took him away from Jerusalem to another area of the world. So even though he had not started to minister, his legacy starts here. Starts here, pardon me. His brother, and this is the brother of uh, Herod Archelaus, I guess it is, Herod Antipas also began his reign in 4 BC and can be found in Luke chapter 13 
where he attempts to thwart the works of Jesus as great multitudes were flocking to him. Jesus was really gaining speed here. And Herod wanted to stop him. And Herod worked hard to do that. And you'll see that in Luke chapter 13. Such actions redirected Jesus towards Jerusalem again to come back to somewhere that he had to be. And Jesus himself spoke of this in Luke 13.33. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. These are Jesus' words. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's a little stone that helps to form the foundation of the Church of Christ. And goes with Jesus as he progresses towards his crucifixion. You know, God doesn't use just good people. He uses evil people as well. Because they're all his creation. They're all his people. And they're all part of his plan. So if you think you're insignificant, you're wrong. And these are two examples of just that. And as if this legacy for Herod the Great was not enough, another wife of his, he had at least six, by the way, uh, that we know of, was to become the great-grandmother of Herod Agrippa I, of whom we now study in these first six verses of chapter 12. He was a thorn in the side of any who were considered followers of Christ, a workload continued by his son Herod Agrippa II, as spoken to later in the book of Acts in chapter 25. So this family just continues on and on to be a thorn in the side of Christians. This Herod spent his formative years in Rome. Now get a hold of this. This fellow, who is a king on his own, he learns to become a king in Rome, under his father, under his grandfather. And yet, from an early, early time, He's thinking evil. He's thinking, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? First, he's under the protection of Tiberius, often getting into trouble regularly and finally falling out with that same ruler in Rome. In fact, so broken is his relationship with Tiberius that he switches his allegiance to Caligula. That's like going from the frying pan into the fire and was only saved when Tiberius died and Caligula was made the Caesar. Caligula made Agrippa king of Philip the Tetrarch's territory, northeast of Galilee. Philip was the brother of Herod Agrippa I, through another wife of Herod the Great. So this is all within the family. They're fighting amongst themselves, but they're fighting for power. He gets more land because of this going on with Caligula. Herod Agrippa I arranges for exile of Herod Antipas, his brother. This is the Herod who killed John the Baptist. This action gained the additional territories of Galilee and Perea, which sat across the Jordan River from Judea and Samaria. He did endear himself somewhat to the Jewish leadership, by the way, when he persuaded Caligula to refrain from installing a statue of himself in the temple, as it would not be in his best interest. Caligula was assassinated and Claudius became Caesar and Herod Agrippa I gained Idumea, Judea, and Samaria, making him the most powerful king in the area since his grandfather, Herod the Great. So he's got what he wanted. But why this interest in the Jews? 
He committed himself and commended himself to the Jewish leaders, to the Sanhedrin, by protecting their religion. And it almost seems like he wanted to be part of the religion, or at least have peace with that religion. The Sanhedrin were so pleased that he had done some of these things that he was encouraged to arrest Peter. Whether he was politically savvy, simply greedy, he saw genuine worth in Judaism in that it helped him. It helped him get what he wanted. He chose to live in Jerusalem, which is something that is strange as well. But these things are all done because God wanted him to be there. God wanted him to do these things. You know, it's said that this King Herod put a lot of weight on Deuteronomy 31, 10 to 13, which says that you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. The people would reassure him later that he was indeed their brother. The people were the Sanhedrin. Obviously, people who fought followers of Christ because they saw things in a different way. You know, I ask you again, is it possible that he wanted to be part of the family of God? We don't know. It's really hard to say. But God knows his heart. God knows where he was at and where he was going. As you can see, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Anybody that's named Herod is evil in the eyes of the people. But still has a purpose with the Lord. So if you're sitting here today insignificant in your thoughts, feeling that this is ancient history. It's not. That's not to say that you're evil, like Herod was. But it is to say that you need to have faith. Have faith in God. We talked about perspective. In reality, there's only one perspective. And that's the perspective of the Lord. Unfortunately, if you are in this world and of this world, you have another perspective. And that's of self. And that's exactly what God wants you to get rid of. You know, it seems insignificant that Herod and Herod and Herod and Herod continue to harass the people of God. But you know something? Through all of this, all it did was spread the good news farther and farther and farther. It made those who were faithful more committed. It made those who saw the commandment of Jesus in Acts 1.8 to go to Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and to all the corners of the earth, it made that relevant to them. So what can we glean from this passage today? I know we run through it really, really quick. How can we apply it to what we do today? While Herod's single focus, unbeknown to him, was continually spreading the seeds of hope, of good news and far as wide as was possible, Peter also is worthy of focus. You know, verses 4 to 12 show that Herod overguarded Peter and thereby created a picture of hopelessness for Peter. You know what that did? That caused the church to pray for him. Not individuals. It says the church. So they were more united in their belief in God. And then their belief in the power of prayer. The Lord strengthened and focused the church through this activity. 
The escape of Peter and the subsequent appearance of an angel showed the church that prayer was indeed effective and that such guarding of Peter would be no match for the Lord, the one in whom they believed. In verse 17, Peter directs the church to tell James and the brethren what had occurred. This was spread throughout the region, only strengthening the church again. The seeds are being spread. Verses 21 to 24 speak of declarations by Herod that encouraged the people to say that he was the voice of a God, not a man. The subsequent wrath that came upon him and eventually killed him also established the fact that God alone has the power to judge. For it was God that brought this upon him. Remember Acts 1 and 8, as I said before, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All of these things that Peter did, all of these things that Herod did as individuals multiplied. They were like that mustard seed, insignificant as an individual seed, but mighty as it grew into a tree, as it grew into a, into a crop. <clears throat> Pardon me. Verse 24 says at the end of chapter 12, but the word of God grew and multiplied. That was God's plan all along. One perspective. So if you have a perspective that is different than this, you're looking at it incorrectly. God says there's only one perspective. Is there any reason why the living God can't use you as he used Peter? Or as he used Herod? And I'm not implying that any one of you are near as evil as Herod. But we're all evil in that we're all sinners, or all were sinners. Let me close with this thought. In Matthew 17, verse 20, when Jesus was asked by his disciples as to why they had not been able to cure certain epileptic who had been suffering severely for a long, long time, he responded by saying, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you that if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Let there be no doubt as to who shapes the vessels, as to who even provides the clay for those vessels. It is God. So when you reflect upon this chapter, and when you reflect upon this complete book of Acts where we talk about growing God's church. Look at the perspective that is there before you. There's darkness. There's light. There's hope. There's failure. There's a fiery end. There's joy in heaven. You just have to decide where it is that you want to be. Lord, we thank you for your word here today. We thank you that your word never changes and that even though we have doubts and we have fears and we are anxious often about what is before us, that you continue to love us and that your plan will lead us through to the end of all things. Lord, we pray for those who have not found you yet. We pray for those who have rejected you, that they may come back and see you. 
Lord, that the good news will somehow reach them, Lord, and that that seed will be planted and that you will grow it. Lord, in all that we do, may it be for your honor and your glory, not only collectively as a church, but individually as children of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.